You're listening to The Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwell, United States Marine Corps, retired standing guard on the Wall of Freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. Welcome, great patriots of America. This is Bud Cornwell, and you're on the Patriot Cause. I have a very special guest, a great friend of mine that had the opportunity to spend a week with shooting, no less, and having a great time doing it together. His name is Van Walter, and he is from Baltimore, but presently he lives in Lafayette, Louisiana. He's a Cajun boy like me. Absolutely. He was in the 173rd Airborne Brigade in 1966-67 in Benoit, Vietnam. So he is a Vietnam veteran. And first off, Van, can't thank you enough for your service and what you have done for America. I'm glad that uh, that I have you on your hold. So welcome to the Patriot Cause, Van. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm proud of my service. <clears throat> I'm a little over the hill these days, but I'd sure do it again <laughs> if I had to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you. Who is Van? You know, where you come from? What's your family like? Okay. Well, I was born August the 26th of 1945 in the old Mount Sinai Hospital in Baltimore City. But where my parents lived, we lived in a little... Uh, uh, area of southeastern Baltimore, outside of the city, uh, a couple miles above Fort Howard, which was a, a veterans hospital for many, many, many years. And prior to that, it was a World War One fort. Uh, they used to call them what the Coastal Defense. So it's a very historic area. <clears throat> I grew up there. The British actually landed there at Fort Howard, which is known as North Point. It's at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay and the Tapsico River. So during the uh, Second Revolution, I like to call it, the British landed there. They were going to march to, uh, to Baltimore to burn the city because it was a pretty important port in those days. And of course, that's where the ship was anchored outside in that area in the Tapsico River with Francis Scott Key who wrote the poem, The Star-Spangled Banner, of course, which became our national song. So it was a very historic area. My family were, were, were good Christians. They were good people. I lived with my grandmother and grandfather, my aunt and my uncle, and my cousins, and my mother and father. I'm a brother. We all lived in the same little house. It was wonderful. It was great to be around those people. They were loving. They were kind. Uh, we grew up in a neighborhood where almost everybody in the neighborhood, my friends, well, their parents and my parents had gone to school together. So you towed the line because they knew who you were. And if you slipped out of line, <laughs> mom and dad heard about it. <laughs> so uh, 
I went to Fort Howard Elementary School for the first six years, and my father had built a house a couple miles up the road in what was called Edgemere. So we moved in there. I think I was 1957. We moved in there. And uh, at one point, a friend of mine in high school went to McDonough School, which was a semi-military school outside of Baltimore City or outside of Baltimore. And uh, so I went. And that was my first in, indoctrination into the military. And that was the semi-military school, so it wasn't as formal as uh, uh, as the next school that I went to. Uh, along the way, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy, <clears throat> but I got I I found out that I got deathly seasick. So I thought, <laughs> well, that wouldn't be a good choice. You know, Admiral Walter hanging over the side providing chum is not a you know the thing you want. So I decided, well, I'd like to go to West Point. So I talked my dad into sending me to Valley Forge Military Academy outside in Wayne, Pennsylvania, just near Valley Forge Park. And that was a full military school. You had the plebe system. Uh, you had a lot of things that went on, but you learned there. It was it was ingrained into you that it was honor, God, honor, and country. God came first, your country came second, and your family was third. Well, you know we can argue about what what position we put them in, but that's what I learned. Right. I learned to be a good soldier. I learned discipline. I learned how to shine shoes, fit shine shoes like you wouldn't believe. You know, in those days they. They looked like patent leather, and they weren't. So, so you, uh, um, I, I met this young lady, beautiful young lady, and I told my parents, I said, I'm going to marry that girl, and they chuckled, and they laughed. Well, I, I pursued her for six years, and she finally gave in, and we were <laughs> married. And I knew she wouldn't like the military, the life, because she was, she was a mama's girl. She liked to be around her mom and her family, and, you know, I can't blame her. So I decided not to go to West Point, even though I had a direct appointment at one point because uh, Valley Forge was uh, was known as a uh, honor military school by the Department of Defense. Well, anyway, I didn't go. I uh, <clears throat> went looking for jobs and they were, well, you know, we could hire you, but you're 1A, you're probably going to be drafted. So my brother, uh, I wanted electronics. I don't know why, it just interested me. And, and my brother said, was in the army at the time. And he said, well, if you go and you take the test and whatever you qualify for, the army will give you a guarantee, like a contract. If you enlist between such and such a date, you'll be at a certain class, uh, which they all had some kind of a class number. At, uh, <clears throat> at in my instance, it was crypto repair at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, which was the Army Signal School back in those days. So August the 22nd of 1964, I enlisted in the Army at Fort Holabird, Maryland. Uh, we took the oath and immediately we were all put on a train at Penn Station and we went overnight to Columbia, South Carolina to Fort Jackson uh, for basic training. So from August to October, I was in basic training. I was in a company D-62, if you can believe you remember that after 59 years. It's some things you just never forget. 
So uh, I was in the crypto school at Fort Monmouth after basic from October 64 to May of 65. And I was in, the, it was a called General Field Cryptographic Equipment Repairman. That was a mouthful. And when the recruiter went through his book and, and, and told me this about this course, I said, well, what is it? He said, well, I can't tell you. It's top secret. And I said, <laughs> I'll take I it. I want that one. Absolutely. I'll take it. I want it. So anyway, uh, I took the test for the Army and they said, well, you qualify for everything but infantry. And I'm like, well, that's not my career choice, but why? And apparently something on the test said that I had problems with depth perception. I, I don't know. But anyway, <clears throat> I didn't want to be an Army infantry guy. That just wasn't what I wanted to do. So I graduated from Fort Monmouth. And my first duty station, I was with Army Air Defense Command, Night Hercules Missiles, and I was stationed at Bergstrom Air Force Base outside of Austin, Texas. You know, we were just hmm. near there, the old, yeah. now I think it's Bergstrom International. So when I was there, about I just I thought, well, I'd like to go back to Fort Monmouth and take the IBM mainframe training, that school. So I re-enlisted. I got my whole $300 re-enlistment bonus. I, I probably spent it on, on uh uh, booze and, and girls or whatever. And I didn't go back there. I just said, well, I'll give crypto a chance. So I was assigned to uh, the 51st Artillery Group Army Air Defense. And, and from there, that was at Scott Air Force Base outside of St. Louis, Missouri. And from there, I was sent about 15 miles away, I think it was, somewhere around that uh, to what was called Belleville Air Force Station, and that was the Air Defense Command Post. And that's where we had our uh, comm center, so that's where the crypto was that I worked on. So I was there for, oh, let's see, let me look at my notes here. I was there from uh, May, uh, September of 65 to May of 66, and not long before... Uh, May came along. I received orders for the 69th Signal Battalion in Tan Sanuk, Vietnam. Uh, I was like, well, I don't know what Vietnam is. Hadn't heard of it. And in those days, you, you didn't listen to the news. You were a young kid. You were busy doing other things. So those orders were changed. And I got orders for the Army Communications in the Pentagon. And I thought, well, this is pretty good. I'm from Baltimore. That's not a bad deal. I'll go back there. Well, they were rescinded, and I was told to apply for special top-secret clearance besides the one I already had uh, for the Army Security Agency. Oh, I never heard of it. We didn't know what it was. And this one staff sergeant said, oh, that's probably civilian status, embassy duty. I'm like, Denmark, here I come. Well, <laughs> didn't go to Denmark, did you? No, not, no, not, not even <laughs> remotely close. <laughs> so I get orders. I'm to travel in Vietnam in civilian clothes. Oh, wow. Like, wow. What's going on here? Well, anyway, I, I went to Vietnam in civilian clothes and I learned to keep a copy of my orders in my back pocket because all the senior NCOs would be like, where's your uniform? Right. <laughs> and I'd stay awesome. here, read, read my orders and weep. <laughs> So I went through a couple of replacement companies, and finally one day 
they say, hey, Walter, come here. We got we got your assignment. So they drive me about uh, maybe 10 miles from Long Bin to Benoit. And I get into the compound. They drop me off. And I see this, this uh, shoulder patch. It says airborne. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This has to be a mistake. So I report in and they said, you're the new crypto repairman. I said, yeah. I said, uh, that, that's me. And they, they said, well, catch a chopper to Vung Tau. Now, I don't know where I am in the world, but I'm going to catch a chopper. So uh, they, they had me stow my equipment in a tent. We slept in GP medium tents for about, uh, I guess, seven months in the beginning. And they gave me uh, an M16, <clears throat> never saw one before, didn't know how to load or anything. Uh, they gave me six <laughs> magazines, a pistol belt, the whole thing, the canteen, the flak vest. And they said, get a chopper to Vung Tao, crypto's down, and they'll meet you at the headquarters battalion. And I'm like, well, what chopper? And they're like, they're all going there. Just get on one. <laughs> <laughs> So I fly to Vung Tau, we, we get off the chopper, and I look and there's about there's a chopper about 300 feet away, and I see two guys at a time, they're loading a green bags. And all of a sudden I realized what those were. And I was like, oh my God. And I said to myself under my breath, Van, what have you got yourself into? Absolutely. Uh -oh. yep. But you know, it, it worked out, it worked out. We I was in the forward area on a lot of uh, search and destroy missions because we always had units at the different battalions. Uh, you know, we, we were basically, we had teams of direction finders and the idea behind the crypto was that you no longer had to use a crypto pad. You could just click your mic, get on and say, I got Charlie on whatever frequency in whatever direction and you do a triangulation and call in airstrike or artillery or whatever. So it was quite well, an experience. I, I saw a lot of things. I flew back and forth in so many choppers. I thought I should have kept a, a little diary. Probably could have got an air medal because I was the only- many hours? <laughs> yeah, I was the only crypto repairman. And you know we, we were on search and destroy missions a lot. So I had one at each battalion. Uh, a, a unit plus we always had crypto that was out in the uh, headquarters yeah, there transmitting sure. everything back and so, you probably uh, like i said you probably flew more hours than a lot of pilots did <laughs> i know? may have but you know what <laughs> i i would look at the chopper and see how many how many patches they had of olive oh, okay <laughs> gotcha <laughs> That would determine whether I'd fly on that one or not. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Van, uh, we're going to take a break. And okay. when we get back, Van is also a member of Convention of States, just like I am. And he's going to tell us how he got involved in Convention of States. And then we're going to carry on and talk about, you know, what our worldview is and what's going on and just have a good old time chat. And I appreciate your Telling us about your experience in the in the army, it's always a pleasant pleasant memory for me when I get to speak with other veterans because we have things in common. You know, I was in Somalia, you were in Vietnam, so we can right. kind of compare those experiences, and that's awesome. So, don't go away. We'll be right back with Van Walker.
Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Gunny, and you're on the Patriot Cause. Ban Walter from Baltimore. However, now a Louisiana Cajun like me in Lafayette <laughs> is here with me, special guest. He is also a member and a volunteer and a leader, regional captain in this case, for one of the uh, regions in Louisiana, part of the Convention of States. And the Convention of States is very important to our ability to save this country. Matter of fact, we believe it's the only way that we can actually get a hold of this federal government and figure out how to shake their brains and saying, hey, we're the ones that run this country. So Van, tell us about Convention of States and how you got involved in it. One day I got an email, and I think it might have been from Gun Owners of America. It was one of the organizations, and they talked about this convention of states. And I was, uh, well, I never heard of it. So I investigated it. <clears throat> I got online, and as soon as I saw what it was and what we were trying to accomplish, I signed up immediately. I signed up as a volunteer, and I wanted to be a state content writer. Uh, I like to write. So uh, that's where I began. I started writing blogs, and I've written different blogs and posts that I've had posted national and, and, and in Louisiana. And from that, I became a member of the follow-up team uh, <clears throat> when new people signed on. And then I became a, uh, a state information analyst because I knew enough to be dangerous. <laughs> and and then eventually they in, in Lafayette where I, my region's uh, central Louisiana and it's in, in the Lafayette area is the biggest city well you know we've, we've been a little bit dead out here so my job I was asked if I would take this regional captain job and I said sure I would I'd give it a try and uh, you know the idea is to revitalize this area because we haven't been as active as we should be you know once a month I go to Baton Rouge they have a meeting at the East Baton Rouge Library and it's wonderful people show up uh, you know it's a lot of good discussions that go on uh, I get to, to meet my convention of states friends and and uh, talk about things and along the way my state director kept saying oh, I wish we had a website and finally, I fessed up and I said, well, Julie, I know enough to be dangerous. I can give it a shot. So I came along with this website. And basically what it is, it's like a website that I was involved in with General Electric Healthcare, which we called Support Central. And it was just uh, putting everything, all the important links for the volunteers, for the district captains, for the regional captains, all in one place. Uh, so that you didn't have to search all over COS action to find things, especially things that you referred to quite often, but you don't do enough where you remember everything exactly. So it's just evolved. And the reason I got involved is I don't like what's going on today. I haven't liked what's going on for for many, many, many years. And I avoided the uh, government. And I avoided a lot of things like the plague. Well, you know, I'm retired. My wife, unfortunately, passed away. I'm living with my children in Lafayette, and I've got to have something to do, something that makes me feel good, something that's worthwhile. 
Right. Well, my ancestry, you know, I have a lot of ancestors that arrived in the early days. I have ancestors that arrived on the Mayflower, signed the Mayflower Compact. I have revolutionary soldiers, so many of them. I can't keep track of them. And the same in the Civil War. And, you know, I've always loved this country and believed in this country. And, you know, I don't want to see us fall. I'm in here for the fight. I'm in here to uh, see if we can act uh, re or uh, connect uh, 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 with Article Five. You know, it's a it's a peaceful solution. You and I are veterans. We know what combat is. We we don't want to do that again if we don't have to. So that's how I got involved. I felt the need to do something worthwhile, and to me, saving your country can't be any higher dedication uh, that you can find. I appreciate that. Yep. It's, uh, it's amazing. I joined in 2013 when it actually started, basically about three months after. I heard about it the month it actually started. That's when I actually got introduced. But being in the military and at the time I was a government employee and I was just going, ah, you know, I don't know if this is going to work or not. You know, that kind of thing. So I thought about it and thought about it. And then about three months later, December of 2013, voila, I joined and I haven't looked back since. Nope. And the thing about it is watching the growth of Convention of States. When I was part of Convention of States in 2013, we didn't have any states that had passed yet. So the first states didn't even pass until towards the end of 2014. You know, so now we got uh, 19 states fixing to be 20. You know, Kansas gets done with whatever they they got to do. But the thing about it is, is the millions of people now. We have over six million supporters, donors, volunteers that are all part of Convention of States. So this is the real deal. We're standing up self governance. We're we're trying to to get out there and get the word about Convention of States. So to be able to, to do something. And Van, again, thanks a lot. You know, it's patriots like you that make what is happening in the field actually happen, being able to support it. So for instance, I'm in Alabama and just two days ago, a, I call him a leftist de uh, Democrat representative decided that he was going to put in a, House resolution to rescind the convention of states that was passed in 2015 by Alabama. And the thing about it is they keep doing this over and over again, and it does it never gets anywhere. It just in, in Alabama, you, you think you're gonna pull this away from the people in Alabama that already voted on it when Alabama has a supermajority in the House and the Senate. So you know, unless unless they can convince all of those people, there's no way they're going to pull it because this is all we got left. That's it. Other than complete anarchy in this country, people say, well, we're going to have a civil war, right? I'm going, what do you think? You think this is 1860s? <laughs> this is not, you know, give you an example. In 1860, right, they didn't have jet aircraft. 
They didn't have Tomahawk missiles. They didn't have drones. <laughs> None of that existed. The only way to fight was face-to-face, gun-to-gun, right? And, of course, they had artillery and stuff like that, but they didn't have all this sophisticated warfare stuff. The government really wanted to, and which I hopefully they never will, but they really wanted to. They could make a lot of damage on a lot of people in a heartbeat in this country. So it's, you know, civil war is definitely not the, the way this is going to happen. Now, we're already in a civil war of ideas, right, Van? It's like yeah, the reason correct. is because, yeah. you know, because of how these people think compared to how we think. And that's where the issue is. We can't come to a co- uh, back to a common, you know, thought process of our country again, you know. Well, it's a shame because what's happened is we've gotten away from God. You know, this country was founded on on religious freedom, the belief in God. Our fa- forefathers uh, all believed in God. They all looked to God for advice. You know, the Constitution, the Republic was founded on God's law. The first 10 amendments are uh, to the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, or the unalienable rights given by God and not by government. Uh, I don't understand the philosophy today. Uh, you know, when my ancestors arrived on the Mayflower, my 12th great-grandfather, him and two sons died the first year from starvation. It was a socialistic society. It was a communist society back then. And uh, they almost starved to death because you had those people that would go out and they would plant the crops and they would grow the crops. And then they had to uh, uh, share it with those who sat on their butt, kind of sounds like today, and didn't work and didn't want to work. And consequently, there wasn't enough food around to feed everybody. Mm-hmm. Even though they had lobsters galore and fish galore in the bay, <laughs> they didn't know how to fish. They had no concept of that. So Governor Bradford at one point said, well, this isn't working too well. So along came uh, uh, private property rights. Every one of the colonists were given 21 acres of land. And whatever you did with that land, whatever profit you made, those were yours to keep. Oh, all of a sudden we have free enterprise. And guess what? It works. So we're talking now of becoming a socialist society again, where those that don't want to work are going to be rewarded. And those who work are going to be uh, disdained because they're, they're productive individuals. It just doesn't make sense. You know, we're supposed to learn from history and we haven't. But we're here in the fight to do what we can to save this republic. And you know what? It's, it's in God's hands. And when I take my last breath, because I'm in here until I take my last breath, I'd be able to look at my maker and say, I tried. That's that's my end goal. I try. I'm trying. What little bit I can do, every little bit becomes uh, adds up. It does. The thing about it is, is if everybody does a little bit, it turns into a whole lot. And that's that's the, the conceptual idea behind it. We can't back down. We can't. No, it's, you know, it's impossible for a, per, uh, uh, a person that believes in the holy God that created us to allow what we would consider evil 
destroying what God has created in America as the greatest country on the face of the planet. And people that don't want to do anything and just go, just leave me alone. Well, if we continue that way, eventually the government goes away as we know it. It becomes a tyranny. Yep. And then they are not going to just leave you alone. No, you're either going to go their way or you're going to hit the highway. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the highway to heaven. You're going to hit the highway <laughs> to hell. They're either no, going to put you in prison or they're going to kill you. It's that simple. Well, yeah, I agree with that. I believe that to be true. Yes, you become tyrannical. I read a book not long ago called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. And it really struck a chord, uh, uh, you know, that the lesser magistrates, those under whoever's above them, you know, they they have the, almost the God-given right to, uh, to uh, go against the system, to stand up against the system. You know, King John was uh, the first was kind of a little wacko and a real tyrannical person. And eventually his... Uh, what he wanted done and how he treated the people became so bad that his lesser magistrates drew their swords and they stood up against him. And out of that came the Magna Carta. We look at DeSantis today. He's the lesser magistrate. He stands up against the government. And we right. need people in all governments, local governments, uh, the federal government especially, to stand up against these people and say no more. We've had it. This is it. The, it stops here. Oh, absolutely. Because if we don't, if if we don't do something and continue to do that something, COS is fixing to be ten years old this year. Yeah. If you look at ten years ago, what was going on? There was no such thing as article using Article Five or whatever. 10 years has passed, and now we're talking about they are scared and they're running. They're trying to do everything they can to prevent us from having this constitutional convention so that we can correct the federal government. And they're going, and it's not going to get any easier, you know. So, but no, anyway, that's, uh, that's just what the what way the world is and what we're dealing with, right? right. Well, it's not. And, you know, I approach a lot of people and I I talk to them and I tell them about convention of states. And yeah, some people are just apathetic. They don't want to hear it. You know, we're, it, it's easy to volunteer and just do something small. You know, it all adds up. You just you have to somewhere stand your ground. You have to say, this is it. I will accept no more of this. We have to save this nation somehow, uh, and, and and hopefully, I mean, I know that it, it, it's in God's hands, so whatever it's going to be is going to be, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't stand up, we shouldn't assert our rights, we shouldn't open our mouths and say, hey, we don't like this, but, and let's, let's throw out those people that don't want to follow the Constitution. Why do we keep voting them in? Is it that they get so much money and help from the government that they've been bought? Yep. I don't know. I think it's an accumulation of a lot of things, and it's very hard to keep up with everything these days. But you do what you can do. Yep, absolutely. Well, Van, 
I appreciate your time. I love your brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And definitely we'll have you back. Anytime that you want to come back, you just let me know. And, you know, we're a sounding board. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I was glad to have you here and looking forward to us meeting together again someday, probably at one of the COS uh, summits or something like that. So if not, you and I need to go back and do that advanced course. I bet you that. There we go. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That would be, Uh, that would be fun. Wow. What a wonderful uh, opportunity we had there. It was. Van and, and I to went get to, to uh, meet people, you know, get to meet people, other COS people from all around the country. That was just so exciting. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, you know what I like about I love Convention of States people because we all think the same way. We have a wonderful team here in Louisiana and they're like my second family. I love each and every one of them. I uh, wish them all well. No, I hope things work out for us, but I think we're doing a good job in this state. We're we have a majority now, a super majority, and uh, uh, you know a lot of people, a lot of legislatures uh, in this state are well aware of us, and they know we keep an eye on them, and uh, you know we tell them when we don't like what they're doing, and uh, I I think that's going to pay its dividend. Absolutely. But Gunny, I appreciate the opportunity to come here and talk. And I love you, buddy. I love my love you too, brother. I love what Absolutely. you did for this country. You too. Take care. Absolutely. You you too. We'll talk to you later. Have a great, great day. You do. You do the same. I love you. I know. Make a Ford and a Chevy It'll still last ten years Like the Cause The best of the free life Is still yet to come The good times ain't